Okay, welcome to the show. We have a lot to get to in this episode. A lot of things to go over. There's a lot of news to talk about, interviews I want to react to. So this is going to be a pretty full one. Now, first of all, I'll do a quick portfolio update. I know I've been doing these like every two days, but let's be honest, there's about a week's worth of news every single day right now. That's what it feels like, just getting blasted with news left and right every single day. So the portfolio right now is down around $12,000. This is a pretty drastic change even from yesterday. The Dow Jones was down over 7% just yesterday. So we're seeing a lot of volatility still. This could go down a lot lower because businesses are really at a standstill right now. If I go down and I look at the different sectors that we have, real estate, consumer, industrials, energy, some of these businesses are having nobody visit their companies. They're just completely closed. Like they went out of business. This is something that there's some companies that are set up for. You might have an Apple that has $200 billion that can float money for a long time. But the majority of businesses are not set up to have months on end without any revenue. And right now, that's that's somewhat what the market is pricing in. They're saying a lot of these businesses might go months without any kind of revenue. And a lot of them have tremendous amounts of fixed costs. They have leased equipment. They have lots of employees. They have things that they can't just fire everybody at the company. They can't undo a bunch of contracts that they have. So they have enormous amount of fixed expenses. They're relying on revenue that isn't happening. And as such, you're seeing their value go down a lot. So there's all these different factors playing into this. But the overall stock market is down around 30% right now from its all-time highs. And it could go down another 30%. This is really the situation that we're in right now. It's pretty extreme. Now, I like sharing the actual returns, even when it goes in the red, because this whole thing is to give you an inside look at real investing, really what happens with investing. Downturns happen with investing. If you go and look at a graph of the S&P 500, there are gradual increases, exactly what you see, that go on for years, and then there are sharp declines when you enter into a bear market or you have something huge like a pandemic happen. That's what real investing looks like. And I know a lot of people try to give the airbrushed, photoshopped version of investing, the sugar-coated version where they put a good face on it and they show how they're just happily buying stocks right now and they don't have a concern in the world. When in reality, if you're able to see their portfolios, their portfolios would be completely getting destroyed right now. That's the reality of it. The US stock market has shed over $11.5 trillion over the past 30 days. And this was published before the latest 7% downturn in the Dow Jones. So it's likely over $12 trillion at this point. That is an incredible amount of money that has moved out of these companies. People are wanting to move to cash. There's people that are scared. And not for really invalid reasons. The U.S. economy is at a standstill. People aren't leaving their homes. I'm exposed to a lot of companies right here, like real estate, that rely on people going outside and visiting these companies. They're not set up to have multiple months of nobody visiting them, of no revenue. That's not the situations and the threats that they really anticipated. They probably anticipated a more normal economic circumstance. Even in recessions, people typically go outside, but this isn't a normal thing right now. So we have a lot of companies, a lot of different industries like travel and leisure that have nobody flying on planes, nobody going on cruise ships. We have retail, unless it's groceries, nobody's really going out and doing anything in retail. Simon Property, for instance, a mall REIT, has pretty much shut its doors in a lot of places. Doesn't even allow people to go to it. So a lot of these companies are going to suffer for a while. In fact, a lot of them are going to be completely reliant on the government. That's really how drastic this has been. So this is going to be interesting to follow. 
I don't know where the bottom is, but I plan on staying invested during this. I'm going to be putting my money into companies I think are a little bit less exposed to it. And like I've said before, this is about passive income. I'm checking every day when there's going to be dividend cuts to the portfolio. So far, there hasn't been any. So that's good news so far. There has been a lot of dividend cuts with other companies, but so far I haven't heard any announced. Now, there are going to be some. There will absolutely be dividend cuts. This is the type of downturn where that's unavoidable. So I'll let you know when that does happen. I'll let you know what I decide to do with the company, if I'm going to keep it or if I'm going to sell it. We'll look into that when that happens. Now, the first bit of news that I want to talk about is something that's not exactly a fun subject, not a too positive one. Layoffs, getting fired, getting let go from work. That's going to happen when the economy comes to a standstill like it is. So there's going to be a lot of smaller companies that can't really afford payroll without people buying their products they're going to lay people off. This is something that some people are going to face and that you should be ready for if you're investing. I look at my investments and I'm not concerned about employment. I have savings. My job seems semi-stable. I have multiple incomes here. So what it does is isolate my investment decisions from my personal finance. I never invest and think, man, if I get let go, I might have to tap into these investments. That's not something that's factored into my investing. And what that does is allows me to invest really without any kind of stress. I can do investing and know that that's not going to really affect my my home life. It's not going to affect my family if my investments don't perform well. So like right now when I'm $12,000 in the red, that's okay. I have a lot of time. I have a lot of ways of growing this money back. So the last thing you want to do is be investing money that you're going to need to pull out of the market if you lose your job, because that's money that might go down in value. And then you're making poor investment decisions because you're having to tap into it when the market's dipping right now. So that is the last thing you want to do. If you have savings, if you have a pretty stable job during economic downturns, then that's a good time to be able to invest, put extra money in, buy good companies at discounted prices. But you shouldn't invest during a downturn if you believe that you're not going to have enough money to make it through the downturn yourself. So luckily, I've done polls on this in the past. I've done samples of our audience, and most of us have a lot better financial situation than the average American. So in this article, it says the shrinking schedules are happening as roughly 40% of Americans said they would have difficulty covering $400 in an emergency, needing to borrow money from family or friends or put it on a credit card, according to the Federal Reserve Survey in 2018. So that's most Americans. They can't cover a $400 emergency. How could they possibly cover getting laid off and going without income for a couple months? There's just no way. They'd have to tap into lines of debt or rely on the government. So this isn't the category, obviously, that we want to be in. Most people listening, based off the, the polls that I've done, are not in this group. We're in a group where we have a little bit better financial situation, a lot better, honestly. But this is something that you have to be aware of. Realize that layoffs are going to be happening soon. If you haven't been saving money, now would be a good time to start. Uh, Lowering expenses, that type of thing. Now, the government is also aware of this. They know that people are going to be losing their jobs. This is something they're trying to help out with. They say in this story here, Trump wants direct payments of $1,000 for adults, $500 for kids, and the coronavirus stimulus bill. Mnuchin says. Mnuchin is the treasury secretary. A thousand bucks for adults and $500 for kids. That's what they're going to be giving. So a family like mine where I have two kids and I'm married, I would get $3,000. It looks like they're going to be giving this to a lot of people. And part of it, they say, 
as soon as Congress passes this, we get this out in three weeks. And then six weeks later, if the president still has a national emergency, we'll deliver another 3,000, Mnuchin says. So they're going to be doing these payments every six weeks until this thing passes. That should give some people a little bit of relief that are scared about losing their job, the category that can't cover the $400 payments. That should help out a little bit. Be a little bit of a stress relief there. Mnuchin said the White House's plan would also allocate $300 billion for small businesses, noting that there will be loan forgiveness for employees who keep their workers on payroll. $200 billion would also be used for more facilities with the federal government, as well as secured lending to airlines and other critical industries being strangled by the crisis. So they're really doing this stimulus for a couple reasons. They want businesses to hold on to their employees for as long as possible. That's the one thing they want is not every company to go out and fire everybody. They also want individuals to remain positive, to not feel worried about what they're going to do over the next two months as they're literally stuck at home and they don't have much money if they're laid off. So the government is trying to help out with this in a pretty drastic way. It's kind of incredible to see, actually. Now, another news piece that I wanted to mention, this headline, I read it and I was actually pretty shocked by it. I don't say that too often. I don't think too much news is shocking on Bloomberg or the Financial Times or Wall Street Journal. But this one was so shocking that I actually cross-checked it from Bloomberg to the Wall Street Journal just to see if it was kind of an outlier thing, if one of them was reporting on it. Both of them pretty much had the same headline. The headline is, Mnuchin warns virus could yield 20% jobless rate without action. So 20% unemployment. To give that a frame of reference, in 2008-2009, the unemployment rate went to about 9%. And I wanted to see if this uh, headline was realistic, if it was taken out of context, you know, if it represented what Mnuchin was actually saying. So let's go ahead and dive into the article a little bit and see if this is an accurate headline. It says in part here that, quote, during the meeting with Senate Republicans today, Secretary Mnuchin used several mathematical examples for illustrative purposes, but he never implied this would be the case. That's a spokeswoman for the Treasury Department. So they asked her about it, and it looks like Mnuchin was just giving illustrations of best case scenario, worst case scenario. He outlined different mathematical models, and one of them is that if the government did nothing, they didn't help out, that there would be 20% unemployment which is pretty frightening. I could actually believe that if there's no stimulus or no help to the economy. I really do think we could have 20% unemployment. So the headline's technically accurate, but I think he was doing this for illustrative purposes more than saying this is the likely outcome. Now, the next story I wanted to share here is really an illustrative story. It shares a lot of messages. I think we can all learn something from it. This story has uh, opportunistic greed, has indifference, has extremely poor judgment, and a lot of rationalization, all wrapped up into one story. So you've probably heard this, but it is the brothers that bought 17,700 bottles of hand sanitizer. On March 1st, brothers Matt and Noah Colvin set out in a silver SUV to pick up some hand sanitizer. Driving around, they hit up a Dollar Tree, then a Walmart, then a Staples, then a Home Depot. At each store, they cleaned out the shelves. Over the next three days, Noah Colvin took a 1,300-mile road trip across Tennessee and into Kentucky, filling a U-Haul truck with thousands of bottles of hand sanitizer and thousands of packs of antibacterial wipes, mostly from little hole-in-the-wall dollar stores in the backwoods. His brother said the major metro areas were cleaned out. So these brothers thought it was a good idea to drive across the country, wiping out shelves of essential goods that people in those communities could have used. And then they listed it online, and it says here that they sold between $8 and $70 each, multiples higher than what they had bought them for. To him, it was crazy money. 
To many others, it was profiteering from a pandemic. Now, obviously, this is a, a opportunistic, idiotic, exploitive thing to do. And luckily, these companies realized this. It says the next day, Amazon pulled his items and thousands of other listings for sanitizers, wipes, and face masks. The company suspended some of the sellers behind the listings and warned many others that if they kept running up prices, they'd lose their accounts. So that was their initial reaction to people doing this. But it still is happening over the past week. And then eventually, people pressured Amazon to even doing a, a harsher stance on this. So Amazon responded saying, price gouging is a clear violation of our policies, unethical and in some areas illegal. In addition to terminating these third-party accounts, we welcome the opportunity to work directly with state attorney generals to prosecute bad actors. So Amazon's actually threatening legal repercussions if people end up doing this. Now, one of the most nauseating things about this story is the level of justification and rationalization that goes along with this type of thing. Obviously, Going around and buying up all the essential goods from your community and then jacking up the price up to $70 for something you paid a dollar for to sell to people during a pandemic is exploitive and opportunistic behavior. But the way that they rationalize it is pretty incredible. It says Mr. Colvin does not believe he was price gouging. While he charged $20 on Amazon for two bottles of Purell that retailed $1 each, he said people forget that his price includes labor Amazon fees, and about $10 in shipping. Alcohol-based sanitizer is pricey to ship because officials consider it hazardous materials. He added, quote, just because it cost me $2 in the store doesn't mean it's not going to cost me $16 to get it out the door. Mr. Colvin said he was simply fixing, quote, inefficiencies in the marketplace. Some areas of the country need these products more than others, and he's helping send the supply towards the demand. Quote, there's a crushing, overwhelming demand in certain cities right now, he said. The Dollar General in the middle of nowhere outside of Lexington, Kentucky, doesn't have that. I honestly feel like it's a public service. He added, I'm being paid for my public service. So there you have what I would call a completely pathetic rationalization for exploiting a pandemic, robbing his community and the people around him of essential goods that they probably really need and want during that time, and then profiteering, charging exorbitant prices to random people online. So this is him saying that he's doing a public service. Now, just a couple things to mention. Him saying that the people in Lexington, Kentucky, they don't need hand sanitizer. Why not? This virus is in all 50 states. It's in everywhere. People have traveled everywhere with it. They absolutely need hand sanitizer. I bet a lot of people went to the stores that he wiped clean and they couldn't buy the products they wanted because he went there first. So I don't buy this excuse at all. Now, I believe there's an update to the story. Since his name has been dragged through the mud through basically all major media, he's being known as the guy who exploited this pandemic that tried to take advantage of this pandemic. That is what his name is being branded with and what it's being associated with. So... This is where just poor judgment comes into place. Before doing things that are this opportunistic, this exploitive of other people, you got to know that this is not going to be something well received by people, that it's going to be reported on and people are going to realize what you're trying to do here and they're not going to react well to it. So obviously his name is associated with not a good thing right now. He's trying to rationalize it, trying to explain his way out of it. And he says that he's donating all 1700 of his hand sanitizer, whatever that's worth. I mean, he can't sell it. I think that he still would sell it if he could, but he says now he's going to be donating it. Okay, now moving on, I want to jump into some interviews with big name investors. There's some phone calls that they call in and give their opinion on 
what they think of the market, how low they think it's going to go, whether things are good value right now, whether we should still be concerned, all of that good stuff. So I'll be getting into that. But before we do, I want to take a look at this poll I put up just an hour ago. So I put it up this morning, one hour ago, it has 889 votes. And the question was not a fun subject, but I have to ask how many of you have been fired slash laid off over the past two weeks? Option one is I have been laid off from work. The option two is I have kept my job so far. Right now, as the poll stands with 889 votes, 12% of people have been laid off in the past two weeks. I'll be honest, that's a little bit higher than I expected. 12% is a good chunk of people in a two-week period. This isn't a huge sample size, so we'll see how this works out when it gets into the thousands of votes, but that's a good chunk right now. Now, one person had a suggestion to do this on a weekly basis. I'm going to have to change up the wording a little bit when I do that, but pretty much every single week, I'm going to be asking our audience how many of you are employed. So, I'm going to take that poll on a week-by-week basis. If you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. Then you can participate in this and we can get more accurate data on it. I think it would be interesting to see not just on a general level of every American, but on a more specific level of people that watch this type of content, what the unemployment rate is, how it goes up and down over the next coming week. So we'll be able to see if it's trending upwards or if it's trending downwards. Okay, so let's jump into some of these interviews here. These are phone calls from big name investors. There's two or three that I'm going to be looking at. The first one that I'm going to go over is Howard Marks. He talks about a couple different things here. But in this clip, he talks about the S&P 500, where it was before the drop, if he thought it was really overvalued and where he thinks it is right now. Uh, So, um, you know, I do think that here we are down 30 from the high and the high, in my opinion, was not a crazy high. Uh, I think, you know, we have value here. So I agree with him on this. The S&P 500 a month ago was likely a little bit overvalued. Companies were getting a little bit expensive, but I do not believe it was this huge bubble waiting to pop like a lot of people are saying that it was and that the coronavirus was just a, a little role in playing that. The coronavirus has brought in extreme specific challenges to the market that I think that is causing the majority of the issues here. Typically in a recession, people can still go outside. They can go in groups. They can go out and do things. Even in the 2008 and 2009 recession, people could still go out to movies and go to events. They didn't have to stay inside. So the market right now is facing a specific problem with the coronavirus. I don't think that the S&P 500 was drastically overvalued before this pullback. I also want to point out that he mentioned that there's some value here, that if you're a value investor, you're trying to buy companies that are under their intrinsic value. And Howard Marks sees this sell-off as an opportunity where some companies have probably been sold off a little bit more than they deserve. So that's where value investors come in. You can find those companies that have been sold off in the panic amongst lots of other companies, and they don't really deserve to be sold off that much, and you might be able to get some good deals there. Now, he also goes on to explain where he thinks we are in this downturn. He says that he doesn't know if the market will continue to fall or if it will go up. Nobody knows what direction it's going to go, but he gives a good framework of thought to work off of based off of where we are right now. A a really bad bust, historically, Mm -hmm. has probably been down, let's say, 50%, plus minus. So if we're down 30, that means we're 60% of the way there. And you might spend some of your money here. And I do think that that would be logical. There's, you know, there's no easy answers in this business. There's no sure thing. There's no magic uh, secret sauce. So that's the framework that he uses. He says that a really bad historical bust is 50% down from all-time highs. We're already down 30%. So we might be over the halfway mark to the complete bottom if this turns out to be one of those historically really bad declines. So you have to value what's important to you, whether getting the current deals in the market right now or having some more money when it goes down further 
if it goes down further, which we don't know if it will or not. So deciding between those two different things is a personal calculation that you have to make. So next up we have Mohammed El Arion, who has been looking at the situation day by day and giving what I would say is very accurate guidance on what direction the market is going, what will be the things that will be catalysts for it to turn around, what will cause it to go down further. He has a lot of thoughts on this, and he outlines four things that are causing this market turmoil right now. So these are the four different factors playing into it. This is an unprecedented shock that destroys both supply and demand. We just heard about McDonald's shutting down stores. We've also realized that general stimulus policies are ineffective. No matter how much I give you in terms of a tax cut or if I give you a cheap loan, you're not going to go back and travel. Third, the consistently high volatility has basically taken away the trust in the central bank put, and that was very supportive. And fourth, with that, liquidity has become very patchy. So I'm sorry to say this, but it looks like it's going to remain rough for a while, Scott. Okay, so the things he outlines, what was it? It was supply and demand both being destroyed at the same time, General stimulus isn't really effective because people don't want to go out and spend that money anyway. Consistently high volatility is another factor, and then liquidity. So those are the four different factors he outlines as problems for the market right now. And then he ends by saying, I'm sorry, but this means that it's going to be patchy for a while. So he thinks the market's going to continue to have this type of volatility. Now, the next part of this phone call with him ends on a lot more optimistic of a note. So President Trump said that when this virus passes... He thinks there's going to be a huge boom in the stock market, a huge boom in the economy. And Mohammed is asked about this. So here's his response to President Trump's statements. Yes, once the virus is gone, we're going to have two notable things. We're going to have a very sharp bounce in the economy. So we're going to get out of recession, get out of recession quickly. And second, and that's going to happen way before we bounce in the real economy, we're going to have a very strong snapback The problem for me, Scott, is not the destination, it's the journey and people's ability to navigate the journey. You know that volatility tends to bring the worst out of us. So you have to be able to navigate this incredibly volatile and uncertain journey. I'm I'm okay with the destination. It's just going to be a very tricky journey. Now, I thought that this was a very positive note for him to end on. He warns people that the volatility, what we're going through right now, is really difficult to deal with. It causes people to make poor choices, have poor judgment when you're in the midst of this type of volatility. But he says the ending of it, he thinks that first of all, when the coronavirus passes and when we start getting good medical news instead of new cases every single week, once the curve flattens and it's it's good medical news. We have a reduction in cases, people being released, we can go back outside again. Once that happens, he's expecting a really significant and quick snapback in the stock market. That's the first thing. And then he says the economy will recover over time a little bit slower than the stock market. So that's what he's expecting to have happen. Now, the last one I want to look at is Ray Dalio, who gives an extremely bearish look on what's going on right now. Let's go ahead and listen to just one part of it here. Um, We estimate right now that the corporate losses would be in the vicinity of, um, in the U.S., about $4 trillion. Globally, probably about $12 trillion. Say that again, $4 trillion in the United States, $12 trillion globally, that's with a T? That's right. I love that he has to clarify there. Yes, trillion with a T. That is such a large number. 
that I don't even think humans can really grasp the concept of how big that number is. And Ray Dalio is saying that corporate losses just in the U.S., they estimate it will be at $4 trillion. This is an enormous amount of loss. With that in the U.S. and $12 trillion worldwide, that's a very bearish outlook on this. It's easy to look at these people like Ray Dalio, and they have these prestigious positions, they have access to teams that work on this stuff, and you might forget that they're just human. They can't see the future. They can't really predict what's going to happen in the future. Just a month ago, Ray Dalio said that cash was trash. That's what he was saying a month ago, that you needed to be invested in a globally diversified portfolio. That's what he told people to do. And a month later, we have the coronavirus, and now he's talking about the end of the world. So you can see how quickly things can change, and nobody, no matter how prestigious their position is, they can't see the future. Okay, let's get to some emails. Joseph at josephcarlsonshow.com. The email address is joseph at josephcarlsonshow.com if you'd like to ask your question. The first one is from Romain. He says, Hello, Joseph. I first would like to say that I love the show and I believe your content you make is very educational and inspiring. I am a 19-year-old college student studying aerospace engineering at the University of Kansas. I recently got into investing and the stock market. I dollar cost averaged around 90% of my savings into the market considering that I do not have many expenses as my parents provide for everything except for food and gas. I invested most of this near the end of the bull market, so now my portfolio is down 20% as the market declines and enters into a bear market. My family now says that I've made a terrible decision to invest my money and that I should have waited for a recession. I reply to them saying that a recession is near impossible to predict, and if it doesn't happen, I would miss out a lot on gains. However, the market is down a lot and now they're saying I told you so. Investing is now very demoralizing to me since my account barely had any gain before turning all red. Day after day, I see my portfolio lose more and more money, not to mention others saying you shouldn't have invested your money. Now it feels like a punch in the face. Do you think investing at the time that I did was a bad idea or just unlucky? If you were in my position, how would you deal with all the comments other people are making? As again, I love your show and thank you. All right, Remain. Well, I appreciate the email. There's a couple things I want to go over on this. So first of all, at the end of the email, you say, if you were in this position, how would you deal with all the comments other people are making? You talk about your family saying that you should have waited until a recession. They're saying that you're wrong. And then other people saying that I told you so. That would be pretty difficult to deal with, especially your family. So I don't have my family criticizing my investment decisions or that I invested before this downturn. I talk about investments with them, but they haven't really been critical of of what I'm doing. Now, your family being really critical of your investing decisions, especially at an age of 19 when you're trying to do something good... I think that's pretty harsh. That's a a pretty tough thing, I think, to deal with. So I can't relate to that. I don't have my family criticizing me, but I will say that I I think I can relate to having random people criticize you. I obviously run a YouTube channel and broadcast my strategy to hundreds of thousands of people. So of that, there's going to be a small minority that are critical of anything that I do, any decision that I make. And anything like this that happens in the market and it goes down and the numbers enter into a red, you're going to see a lot of opportunistic, bad faith people come in and be critical of it. They come out of the woodworks and pretend like they knew this all along, that they knew there was going to be a downturn, that they don't know why you would have invested beforehand. And this is going to be something that you deal with in any capacity. Pretty much any investment decision you make, there's going to be some group of people that are critical of it. I find it particularly obnoxious when it's people that say that they knew something was going to happen. There's a couple of reasons I know that's not true. One of them is because they have no evidence of the claims or either they claim it all the time. So a lot of people that say, I knew this was going to happen, they've been claiming a downturn for 15 years straight. So a lot of good that does when they don't know when it's going to happen. The next thing is, is they haven't set up their finances in any type of way to benefit from the downturn. 
If these people really knew that there was going to be a recession in the beginning of 2020, why wouldn't they buy puts on the market? They could become multimillionaires from this one downturn. If they could predict two downturns, they could become a billionaire. So most of these people are not millionaires. They're not rich from it. This type of knowledge that they supposedly have after the fact they tell you about it would make them millionaires and billionaires. So you know right off the bat that they're completely full of it. Another thing is, is you have pretty much all the best investors in the world all openly admitting that you cannot predict the market. Ray Dalio knows you cannot predict the market. Howard Marks knows you cannot predict the market. Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett knows you cannot predict the market. You have Peter Lynch, who ran the Magellan Fund, one of the most successful investors ever. He could not predict the market. In fact, he warned against people that say they could predict the market. Let me go ahead and play one clip here. And first of all, they try and predict the stock market. That is a total waste of time. No one can predict the stock market. They try to predict the interest rates. I mean, this is a, if anyone would predict interest rates right three times in a row, they'd be a billionaire. Considering there's not that many billionaires on the planet, there can't be that many people that can predict interest rates because there'd be lots of billionaires. And no one can predict the economy. So what I'm trying to tell you, it'd be very useful to know what the stock market's going to do. It'd be terrific to know that the Dow Jones average year from now would be X, that we're going to have a full-scale recession, or interest rates going to be 12%. That's useful stuff. You never know it, though. You just don't get to learn it. You can, there are economic facts and there's economic predictions. And economic predictions are a total waste. But you should study history. And history is the important thing you learn from. What you learn from history is the market goes down. It goes down a lot. The math is simple. There's been 93 years a century. This is easy to do. The market's had 50 declines of 10% or more. So 50 declines in 93 years. About once every two years, the market falls 10%. 50 declines in 93 years, about once every two years, the market falls 10%. Of those 50 declines, 15 have been 25% or more. That's known as a bear market. We've had 15 declines in 93 years. So every six years, the market's going to have a 25% decline. That's all you need to know. You need to know the market's going to go down sometime. If you're not ready for that, you shouldn't own stocks. And it's good when it happens. If you like a stock at 14 and it goes to 6, that's great. So you take advantage of these declines. They're going to happen. No one knows when they're going to happen. It would be very, people tell you about it after the fact that they predicted it, but they predicted it 53 times. So again, that was Peter Lynch who ran the Magellan Fund, and he doubled the market average for about 12 years straight. He's a pretty good investor. He studied investing his entire life. He has an extremely good track record. He tries to help out other investors. He writes books about it, gives them ideas on how to invest, how to know what you own, all this really good advice. He would tell you if he thought that you could predict the market. He says over and over again, repeatedly, that trying to predict the market is a complete waste of time. That's his advice, that nobody knows it. The people that say they know it, they predicted it 50 different times. So the advice is not really helpful there. He's openly admitting that it's a complete waste of time, and he's not alone in that. Pick any real big name successful investor, and they will tell you the same thing, that you cannot predict the market. You can look at Howard Marks. He's a billionaire. He tells you openly, you can't predict the market. Not with his firm and all the research tools he has, he can't predict the market. You have Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett, two pretty good investors that have generated hundreds of billions of dollars in value over their lifetime. And they openly admit that they cannot predict the market. Even take Ray Dalio, who today he's saying how bad things are, how the economy is going to lose trillions of dollars in value with all these companies losing this type of income. A month ago, he was saying cash is trash. That's one month ago. 
Ray Dalio cannot predict the market. He runs Bridgewater. They manage over $100 billion. He has virtually endless amounts of resources to do research on this, and he can't predict the market. So who do you think you want to listen to with this type of stuff? It's a simple decision. You can listen to every great investor that's made hundreds of millions and billions of dollars that are openly admitting what they don't know, which is how to predict the market. Or you can listen to random strangers on the internet that come out of the woodworks and make claims that are completely unverified, that they can't back up through any evidence, and they have no money to be made from it. So those are pretty much your two choices of who to listen to. As far as I'm concerned, I don't pay any attention to people that come and in hindsight say what was a good investment. That's not helpful. Knowing that Amazon was a good investment 15 years ago, not helpful now. Knowing that Netflix was a pretty good investment 10 years ago, that's not helpful now. Anybody can do that. It's so easy to look in hindsight and point out what's a good investment. So I wouldn't pay attention to any of these people's advice on the subject. I think it's in bad faith. I think it's opportunistic. And it's a very easy, lazy thing to do. Now, another thing I have to mention is that you say you're 19 years old. This is right at the start of your investments. If you're starting investing at age 19, you're probably going to be investing for 30 years maybe longer. I wouldn't be so concerned about the first year investing at the peak of the market and then having a substantial turn back on year two. That's really not something I'd be too concerned about. You have 20 plus years of investing in front of you easily. So this might actually work out to your benefit in the long run. I consider myself right at the start of my investments. I'm in the second year. That's a very short timetable to be buying into businesses. So this is something where I think keeping in mind that the timeline of your investments is pretty important here. You're going to be working for decades in the future. You're going to be generating a lot of income over that time period. The coronavirus, all this stuff going on, is not going to last 20 or 30 years. There will probably be other recessions in the future, other challenges that we'll face, but this one is not going to last forever. So I just look at the timeline. You're just getting started here. Will says, hi, Joseph. I appreciate the knowledge and entertainment and have a quick question. I'm new to investing and I'm curious. Is it a good strategy to sell your holdings at the beginning of a recession and buy everything back at the low point? What are the issues with this logic? Sorry if it's a dumb question. Much appreciated. I don't think that this is a dumb question. I think this is actually a pretty good question. It's one that really does run through all of our minds at one point or another. So everybody contemplates this at one point. When things look like they're starting to go down, why don't you sell out and buy in at the bottom? That's an easy thing in theory. When you just think about it in that way, it seems pretty easy. The issue is implementation. So it's very easy to think about, very difficult to implement in all practicality. For one question, when is the bottom of the market? My definition of the bottom of the market would be the day before the market starts to go back up. That's the bottom. If you look back at any bad recession or time where the market has gone down, any bear market, there is one day where it's the bottom and the next day it starts to go up and it never goes back down to that one point. So that was the bottom of the market. Could you tell me what day that that's going to be? Is it tomorrow? Is it next week? Is it next month? Is it in six months? When is the bottom of the market? I have no clue. So unless you have any clue, that's going to be very difficult to time when the bottom is. So we can all openly admit that we have no clue when the bottom of the market's going to be. We can all make estimates. We can give percentages of how close we are to the bottom. Some people think we're about 60 to 70% of the way there. There's different guesses like that, but in all reality, none of us know. We could hit the bottom of the market tomorrow, or we could hit it in three months. We have no clue when that's going to be. So that's one issue with it. Another one is that if you sell out when things start to go down, and then you hold on to that cash, but things start to go up, you might keep holding, hoping that they go back down to where they were when you sold. And then all of a sudden the market's going up while you're holding on to cash. So that's a situation that you might put yourself into. So we're basically making a lot of judgment calls here. If you break this down in your mind, there's two basic calls that you can make. One of them is look at the prices right now of companies, 
Do you think that they're a good value? And if they are a good value, how much do you want to invest right now? The, the benefit of investing right now is you lock in the current prices of companies right now. The risk of that is that you might buy right now and then tomorrow the market could drop another 10% and you've lost some money there. The other option is that you hold on to this money, you don't invest at today's current prices, and you wait for the market to continue to drop. The benefit is you have more money to invest if the market drops. The downside is if the market doesn't drop and if we start going back up, you now miss today's prices. So in either scenario, you're having to make a judgment call there. So what I'm doing personally is splitting the difference between those two. I'm saying that I don't know if it's going to drop further or by how much, but there is a good possibility it could drop further. So I'm going to invest some right now in companies that I think are pretty good deals right now, and I'll hold on to some cash in case it falls further. That's really what I'm doing right now. All right, well, that's going to be all for this episode. Thanks for everybody that subscribes to the channel, likes the videos, all that good stuff. And thanks for everybody that supports the channel through the Patreon, the Discord link there. It's been pretty fun to talk with people on a daily basis. So if you're interested in that type of thing, you can check out the Discord in the description. Otherwise, I will talk to you guys next time.